Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Today, we have an amazing guest, our friend uh, from the East Coast. She is a mother. She is an educator, um, has been an educator at various levels um, on both sides of the country. Uh, She is a child of educators. Her entire life has been about educating children um, from the, uh, the home as a children as a child of Korean American immigrants and now raising two Korean American children of her own. And so we could not have uh, thought of a better person to invite to talk to you about how COVID and the wacky year of 2020 has impacted our parenting uh, from the perspective of education. So it brings us much pleasure to invite Yurei Moon to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Yurei. Hi. How has 2020 been for you? Ooh. I think similar to everybody else's 2020, uh, in the sense that none of it was predictable. Everything is tumultuous. Um, every everything is hard, and um, I am some days thriving, some days just surviving, and being okay with all of it. Sounds like it's been a long year for you, like everybody else. It certainly has. Um, It's hard to believe that at the beginning of the year, I was still teaching face-to-face classes. Uh, My son was in school. I was getting ready to transition my then newborn into daycare. And, you know, daycare is out the window now. Uh, He's with me all day, every day. And six-year-old is doing first grade from home now. I'm teaching all of my classes on Zoom. So you've, you've started school already. Wow. Yeah, I have. So we have been in, uh, actually, this is the first week of the semester. So we've been in school for a little less than a week. And um, it's quite interesting for my students who are brand new to college, the freshmen, they're taking English 101 with me. And um, not only is college new, but learning online is very new for them. So huge learning curve for all of us, for sure. Give us a context of your involvement with the education system. Uh, you mentioned a child going to school. Um, tell us about your, your son and what levels you teach and what subjects you teach. Sure. So my first grader is six years old. He goes to public school here in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, it's a wonderful school. They're offering lots of great support for the kids who are all learning online, including giving them resources. Um, Every single child in our county got a free Chromebook at the beginning of the year. And I am very, very aware of the privilege that we have and the disparity between what kids in Montgomery County get and kids in the inner city get. And I know that there is such a huge gap there, which is why I've been involved in education for throughout my whole career. Um, I teach at Montgomery College, which is a 
Community College here in Montgomery County. Um, it is a very large community college and highly recognized all across the country for the work that we do. Um, my student population is quite different from that of the population at my son's school, socioeconomically, racially, um, much more diverse. Um, and that's the type of environment that I love working in. Um, but, you know, I talk about disparities a second ago about the fact that all my, all my son's classmates are getting these free Chromebooks and I have students at my college who um, can't afford Wi-Fi sometimes. They don't have a webcam. Um, a lot of them are hungry right now because they've lost their jobs. And so as their professor, not only am I wearing the hat of um, teaching the curriculum and making sure that they're ready to transfer to a four-year school, but also checking in to make sure that their mental health is okay, that they know where to go if they can't afford groceries that week, or they know where to go if they can't afford the textbook for my class. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that that's the general attitude that most of my colleagues have, that we're all in this together and, and we're willing to go the extra mile right now because everybody is suffering. And our work is already human work, but I think even more so now it's become more deeply about serving people rather than simply taking what's in our brain and dumping it into our students' brains. And give us a little bit more context on your journey as an educator. Um, Cause I think you're, um, you, you used to live here in Los Angeles for a little while. Tell us about that experience and why you chose to do that and the impact it's had on your perspective as an educator and a parent. Sure. So I joined the Teach for America program straight out of college. Um, I was a 22-year-old kid teaching my first class without any proper training, which, you know, the, the beauty of Teach for America and programs like Teach for America is that you just, they, they throw you in the deep end and you just, you <laughs> learn from experience, not necessarily from formal training. Um, and it, in a way that that helped us as core members, learn very quickly how the system works, how broken it is, and what the needs of our students were. Um, and at the same time, because I was so young and because I hadn't been formally trained outside of five weeks of summer school, which we we taught before we started the fall semester, um, I, I also struggled a lot in terms of um, knowing how to survive in a radically new environment from what I was used to, what I had grown up in, and, you know, from my undergrad college experience, um, I needed a lot more support than I got. Um, and at the same time, I, you know, the, the beauty of the situation was that I, my, my eyes were open to a world outside of my own, and that completely dictated uh, my choices throughout the rest of my career. So I committed myself at that point that, you know, even if I didn't stay in inner city LA for the rest of my career as a middle school teacher in Watts in the heart of Los Angeles, that I would always be doing something to help um, make the achievement gap in our nation smaller. So whether that's through college counseling or nonprofit work or now in my community college work, it's very, very important to me to consistently forever pursue work that contributes to what I think is one of our biggest social justice problems in this country and globally um, is that discrepancy between the achievement of um, you know, 
privileged, racially privileged and economically privileged kids and, um, and those who do not have that privilege. And so that is what, why I do the work that I do at the community college level. Um, in terms of being a parent and how that's informed my parenting practices, um, 100%, I, I raise my older one who now you know, can have these conversations with me to um, at a developmentally, developmentally appropriate level um, to understand that there are disparities in this world, that there is injustice and that it is his responsibility as a young person who is one day going to be a leader. I have, I have labeled him already and I have told him it is, it is your job to make a difference. It is your job to make it better. Um, that, so he, he knows already. Um, I reward him for acts of kindness. I reward him for standing up for the right things. Um, we, we have very transparent conversations about that. He, he you know, participated in a Black Lives Matter protest already as a six-year-old. Um, and something that I've been doing during the pandemic is painting portraits of people who have been murdered by police. Black people have been murdered oh, by wow. police. Um, as well as, um, you know, I, I painted a portrait of a, um, of, uh, you know, uh, Vanessa Guillen, who is a um, military person who was uh, brutally murdered after being sexually assaulted by her superior. And I painted a portrait of her. And I have conversations with my six-year-old about who are these people and why why should we care about them? And why should we fight until this stops happening to them? And it's so funny because um, I did a portrait of Angela Davis, who's one of my favorite activists. And it's it's a picture it's a portrait of her when she's younger, right, in the civil rights movement. And we have it in the house. And um, I ended up joining a webinar where she was speaking. She's much older oh, now. Good. She looks a little bit different. But I asked my son, hey, hey Bennett, who's that lady? To see if he would pick up on it. And he said, that's that lady that you painted. And I said, why do you think she's doing this podcast? Why do you think she's um, or not podcast? It was a webinar. Why do you think she's teaching us? And he said, because she always stands up for the right thing. And in that moment, I, I felt so strongly that, okay, I, we're having the right conversations at home. If you understand that standing up for the right thing is what makes you a good person, it's what makes you a leader, it's what makes you somebody who is valued in this household, okay, we're headed in the right direction. So that's a long way to say that starting in Los Angeles, where you guys are now, many, many years ago, um, has has influenced everything that I do, parenting and my career. That's, I mean, I think that's actually really um, heartwarming, but also quite um, interesting because, uh, you know, uh, Uray and I went to the same uh, college. <laughs> and um, my experience um, until college was very, very privileged. And even in college, um, I think I would, I think you would agree that um, you know our college was very privileged and uh, in a lot of ways, and so I can totally understand um, how your thoughts really change um, experiencing the inner city kids and like what they go through as a teacher and kind of your um, kind of your life kind of pivoting and it's also pretty admirable for me to hear what you're doing with your child because I I don't I don't know about you but I I don't think I had that kind of um education as a child myself and I really struggle um to how to teach my child uh, all of these things the race um uh, you know uh, the economic socio 
uh, status that uh, we have and what other kids have. And, um, you know, she's still three, but I'm trying to teach her, but it, it is very difficult topic because I've never learned it myself. For sure. I, I'm mindful of that. I'm mindful that um, I think my parents instilled these social justice values in me, but not necessarily explicitly. Um, like Jerry said, they're both educators. Uh, they both teach at the college level. They're super progressive. Um, <clears throat> most of my friends call them like, oh, those hippy dippy Korean parents of yours. Um, and, and they are, when you compare them to the traditional Korean immigrant parents from their generation, absolutely they are. And as an adult, I'm so thankful that I can have these conversations with them, but we didn't have them in the household uh, growing up. And even when I think about the way that they played with me, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the floor with my children, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm doing the art projects with them and zooming with the cars and pretending to do superhero shooting zombie stuff. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but my parents didn't really play with us that way. So mm -hmm. I'm constantly thinking about the ways that I, I honor and respect the work that they did with me and my brother, um, the parenting that they did and, and the way that they raised us and the way that they sacrificed like so many immigrant parents do. And at the same time, I'm very mindful of things that I proactively do differently, right? When I'm teaching my classes, sometimes I have both boys in my lap because they just refuse to be anywhere else. Um, and I can't imagine bothering my mom like that if she was working from home. I don't think I dared to go in the room to disturb her if she was on a phone call or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really quite different, but I, I do think, like you say, Jang, like these, these conversations can happen young. It, it's hard to know where to begin, mm -hmm. but, but they can happen when the little ones are, are as small as, uh, as they are. So you mentioned both boys on your lab. How is your first week of teaching going? Well, I'm really fortunate that this week, um, you know, I, I have, two co-parents, right? The fathers of each of my children um, who are tremendously supportive. Um, and so the father of my youngest actually was kind enough to take the week off of work so that I could start the semester off on a, on a decent foot. Um, so he was mostly out of the house. The six-year-old is with his dad this week. I share custody with him. And so coincidentally he wasn't here but he's doing school um on his own at dad's house and next week we'll be doing school right next to me <laughs> and so um <clears throat> it'll be interesting i've been able to secure some child care for the month of september um i've got a colleague's 18 year old son who is not going to school he's going to be in the uc system so he's not going to school until the end of september and he has very kindly offered to come and help the older one with uh, with school while I'm teaching. But he has also never changed a diaper before. So um, it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, you know, learning, I am early. Not, learning early and I am not beyond changing a diaper while I'm lecturing. Uh, all last week during professional week, I had meetings and I I was in department meetings while scrubbing my infant who had explosive poop situations 
uh, at the same time as like offering my feedback in the chat box. So such is parenting during COVID. You just have to multitask and we just have to have grace with each other. And I've already warned my students that you're going to see little people on the screen. Um, we just cannot avoid that. that? I mean, They've been amazing. So we went, we shifted over to Zoom classes halfway through the spring semester. And it was the same situation. They were both, both kids were in my lap. My son was constantly like, you know, I'm very loud when I teach. So he was constantly like, why are you yelling at your students? And, you know, little one needed bottles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there were days when they weren't on the screen and my kids would say, it's not the same without your boys here. Um, and so I, I've got incredible students. And I think part of that comes with the population that I work with. Um, many of them are immigrants. Many of them are first in their family mm -hmm. to go to college. Many students of color who are working and going to school. And they just are incredibly patient and understanding with me. And I have promised to do the same with them. Um, you know, I'm flexible with deadlines. I had two students today who said, I know we have a deadline at midnight, but I work from as soon as your class oh, ends wow. until 11 o'clock. So by the time I get home, it'll be 1130. Can you please give me an extension? And I said, of course, of course. So we just have to, we just have to love on each other right now and understand that we have hard circumstances. I think, you, you know, um, you mentioned sort of the different parenting styles generationally from when our parents raised us and the things that they did. We were, you know, just it was a different world. Right. And sort of grateful that we're going through this like home based pandemic in a world where some of those norms don't exist. Because, um, yeah, I mean, everything like everything is on the table. Everything is fair. Right. And um, if you're going to stand by tradition or uh, very strict rules or shoulds of the old world to say that's not allowed, like we're just trying to survive, man, um, every day, like. You know, sometimes my kids barge in on me recording if I don't, you know, if I forget to lock the door. And you know what? Like, who cares? Like, that's not, you know, we'll disrupt the recording. That's not that important, right? Um, maybe we'll edit it out. Maybe we'll leave it in there. Um, but but, but part of that, uh, sorry, part no, of no, that um, for your is that I think you're actually modeling for your students and also showing the kind of the, like the human part of you that they might not be seeing if you were in the classroom, right? Because you, you as a professor versus you as mom, um, it might be in a two different realm when it's not pandemic. And now I think the kids are seeing that and it's good. Some, some ways it's good for the students to see that. And also some ways I think it's good for your children to see that you're, um, trying to juggle and you know, I, I at least I think of it that way for myself <laughs> that you know I'm modeling um, this hardship for my child right because oh, she's gonna have a hardship at some point right yeah that's such a good point um, and I think it makes me more compassionate too towards my students mm -hmm. because um, you know I went from in the spring everybody has to have their camera on and I need to see what you're doing so I know that you're paying attention to understanding that well some of my students might have their own children or siblings running around at mm -hmm. home, or some of my students are sharing rooms with people because mm -hmm. they're in that kind of living situation or 
some of my students can't afford a webcam or maybe they feel really uncomfortable um, like if they haven't been able to take care of their hygiene for whatever reason, maybe they feel uncomfortable sharing that on the screen. And so, yes, I appreciate you saying that that's, that's maybe something that is positive for my students, just kind of seeing my home situation and how I juggle everything. And also for my kids, I do, I, I like thinking about it that way that, gosh, you know, especially my little one, he was born into this, right? He's not afraid of masks. That's all he knows. Um, and you know, he, he knows nothing about playing with other children or socializing. Um, but maybe for both of them, they'll grow up to be more resilient because they're living through this time. And, you know, hopefully for your kiddos as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I want to ask you guys a question and I'm, I, um, well, you're able to ask you to, uh, share your thoughts first. And then Jang as, as a professional too, I really curious i mean i have a three and a one-year-old so school is not part of the equation um regard i guess depending on where you are and when you're listening to this we're at varying stages of schools going fully remote schools being fully in person schools doing hybrid or schools open and oh shit we got to go back because we messed up especially at that college level um we're recording this right before labor day weekend and holy moly it's going to be bad um but how do you balance from both perspectives the your as an educator and working from home just sort of you want your space you want the peace and you want it you want your kid to socialize for all the right reasons but also knowing the full dangers of the pandemic and sort of our um i don't know response hasn't been as as good as it could have been and so what what are your concerns there and how do you balance that well, it's a really good question. Um, my main concern is a very close family member of mine it, who's in my immediate family, and she's immunocompromised. Um, and so, you know, when I hear folks saying, well, our kids are missing out on socializing, our kids, and, and, and I, there's no judgment for me. I have friends who are doing all kinds of things, and I'm proud of every single one of them for making the choice that they did because every single choice is brave right now. Whether you have your kids at home, you have them in hybrid school, or they're fully in school or daycare, everything is brave. So no judgment. Um, but when I hear my friends say, well, my kid is missing out on socializing, of course I feel the same way. And at the same time, I have to protect this family member because she is around my children a lot. Um, and so that is my primary concern. Um, I also have very close friends and family members who are on the front lines right now dealing with this thing. I have a, a cousin in Georgia who sees two to three bodies being rolled out every single day in the hospital. She, she is taking care of patients who have been in the hospital since June, and they're still very sick. Um, and so, you know, I'm very aware of the realities of this disease in a way that I think some of my friends or other people in my community ne aren't necessarily. Um, I'm willing to make the sacrifice and have my kids at home and have it be really hard, but I know that not everybody can. So um, it, it's, for me, it's just a case by case situation. Um, 
you know, I, I, I have my older son play socially distanced as much as possible. The little ones, you know, they like to touch each other. They like to be all over each other's face. Um, but as much as possible, I let him see friends from afar. He does a lot of like FaceTiming and movie watching with friends like on the screen. Um, but, but it's tricky. It is really tricky. And, you know, I, I, my, my personal opinion is this whole year should just be scrapped globally. Right. Why why can't totally we just, <laughs> can somebody give parents the means and the resources to have our kids all stay at home with some help um, and just uh, no stress, right? Um, but, you know, I don't make the rules, so that's not the way that it's going to go. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's my concern. I'd love to hear what Jang is doing. Um, but, you know, that, that just my personal situation is I have to be extra careful. Yeah, no, I agree with you about like this year being the scrap and starting all over. Um, that's what I talk a lot about with um, my my families that I um, uh, treat. Um, because no matter how old your kid is, one or fifteen or eleven or nineteen or twenty-five, um, it's and and how well your child has adapted to um, you know virtual learning or hybrid learning. Um, it's hard. What even if they're not expressing it, it is hard. And you feel it as an adult, right? So um, the kids will feel it. They just don't have the words. When, uh, even if they're twenty-five, sometimes. Um, and and so I do think that uh, everybody has to give the kids some slack, right? Um, they are resilient kids. Um, they will bounce back if they don't have social interaction for a year. You know, so be it. The safety is the number one thing. Um, but if you don't do very well in virtual learning and most kids I know can't do it very well even even the high schoolers um, that do very used to do very well have a really hard time and so you can't expect 100% of those children when the world isn't 100% and I I I do think that as a parent also you uh, we have to give ourselves slack that um and it's really hard for me as well that I am not there with my child 100% all the time, or sometimes I just zone out because I, I need that break. And, um, and that's okay, because we're all just trying to survive. And coming out of this safely with our loved ones, I think, are the most important thing. Um, I, I did pull my child out of her school, even though she really likes it, um, because of where I live is... Um, we're still seeing a rise of COVID and um, people are not really good at social distancing. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's been a, a family decision. I am very lucky to be able to do that, but it is a struggle. Something that might be on many parents' minds, whether they want to admit it or not, is this sense of FOMO that somehow mm-hmm. that my kid is going to be at a disadvantage because you know, you can't do all the activities, you can't go to school. And as, as much as I think the three of us and many others are, are trying to redefine what success and achievement and uh, parenting means from a, um, you know, I don't know, a success or whatever perspective, um, we still want the best for our children. We still want them to have as many opportunities to get involved with, whether it's, you know, academics or even sports, or as we mentioned, just hanging out with friends. Um, how have you guys individually and you know, uh, you're personally and, and professionally would, would, would talk to fellow parents about 
you know, dealing with that anxiety that we want the best and just feels like the world is moving ahead, even though it isn't, while we're standing still. I think it really helps to have a paradigm shift, right? We're missing out on certain things. Um, maybe your little child or your grown child is not getting the content that they typically might get in a traditional academic school year. But um, if you are at home with your children, guess who gets to do all the life teaching that you kind of miss out on? when they're in school all day and somebody else teaches them, right? When my son, or my older son is anxious, um, if he's frustrated, if he's having a tantrum and all that stuff happens, especially right now when there's so many unknowns and it's really impacting our children and their mental and their emotional health sometimes, um, I get to be the one who comforts him. I get to be the one that explains what all this racial injustice is and I use the language that I want, right? And I don't have to question what is my child being taught all day. And so in a way, I'm kind of starting to understand, although I never thought that I would want to homeschool, I'm starting to understand why some parents really value that if they can do that. Um, I think I shared this with Jerry last time I talked to him, but my son at the beginning of the pandemic was showing some regressions in his behavior. So he wanted all the things that were like pure and safe. So when we did, um, when we do story time with the little one and we're reading these baby board books, the older one insists on being there. Okay. Um, and this was a kid who previously was like, that's baby stuff. I don't, but once the pandemic hit that for him was his safe time. That for him was his, you know, his one consistent thing throughout the day. I know that this is always going to happen right before my brother's nap time, right before my brother's bedtime. And I want to participate because it is a safe routine for me. We're reading books that are simple, not scary. And that was very comforting for him. Now, if he were anxious and um, struggling with some of those big feelings and in school all day with somebody who might not know him as well, again, not to condemn anyone who sends their children to school, but my, what, what I'm seeing in this role is a different perspective, um, which is that I'm, I'm really grateful that I get to be the person who comforts him and talks him through the tantrums and rewards him for things that I think are, that I value as good behaviors. Um, so that certainly has helped in the moments when I just feel worn down, <laughs> I feel stressed out. I feel just um, like this is an impossible situation. Um, those are the the pieces of the day that I really hold on to and I'm grateful for. I think what the pandemic has really done for a lot of people, including me, is to appreciate the little things that I have I didn't use to as much. Um, uh, the fact that I get to spend the time with my family, I. You know, uh, the fact that I live in a very rural area where we have room for the child to run around. I, I used to hate rural areas. <laughs> Things like that, um, that I can, you're right, like the paradigm shift and what um, kind of foc refocusing on what is really priority in my life. Right. Yeah. I agree. I think um, I used to travel for a living, not mm -hmm. for fun. <laughs> I needed to travel to do my job. And so I, I think about, uh, all the other folks 
and I know it's challenging professionally, right? Like, um, I, I joke that when I was traveling, it was like, great. Cause I get to sleep alone in a quiet room <laughs> with no screaming kids. Um, Luxury. And, right. And, and by and large, uh, it was my time during the week. Um, I, I admit that privilege too. And, and so I think for a lot of parents, uh, the initial thinking I think is holy crap, right? Like, I don't get to see my clients. I don't get to go to the office. And while, of course, that's frustrating as hell, um, I don't, I, I think I just passed my one year mark of having, like, having slept at home for a consecutive year <laughs> for the first time, probably since I was an adult, right? Like, no, I mean, obviously the last six months, like, no personal, no fun travel. So that was easy. But even previous <laughs> to that, like, no work related trips. I think I took like one day trip up to like Santa Clara, but like, and I think about when is the next realistic stretch of time where I get to wake up and go to sleep with my kids every single day. And the answer is probably never. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, it's as frustrating as it is like, let's just chill and let's like paradigm shift and, Think about this gift as crappy as the circumstances of the gift have been. Like, when are you ever going to do that? And for all the parents out there or even like your college kids, like stuck at home as an, a grown as adult, like, yeah, I get it. We've all been there, but you're not going to ever get that time back either. <laughs> right. Like start. I, I don't know. Like I, I again. Some parents are toxic. Some kids are toxic. I get all that. And this is not to say that you should force yourself into conversations or situations that, you know, uh, put you at risk of harm. But, you know, consider that this might be the last time that you might be spending meaningful time with your family in a, in a full time basis. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things going on um, that we just don't know about either. Um, what, what are some tips you're right, you can share? Um, obviously, you know, uh, being a parent and also teaching um, of whether it is routines or physical uh, separation of space at home or mindset things that uh, can help parents better make their children's uh, study from home experience a little bit easier and smoother on themselves. Sure. The first thing that comes to mind is that I've been letting loose a lot more um, I've been letting myself, I mean, I'm, I'm a very playful parent already. I dance with my kids, I'm, you know, as I said before, on the floor with them and playing make-believe, they're dangling off my back and all that kind of stuff. But um, I've been saying yes more, especially to the six-year-old. So if he wants to go to the creek and go down the water chute in the middle of the week and it's sunny outside and I don't have a lot of work to do that day, we're going to the creek. Right. I don't care if it's a Wednesday and I'm teaching the next day or I have papers to grade. I, I can make some time for that because I'm not in a physical classroom. I'm not in physical office hours. I'm not tied to a location. So I'm, I'm trying to make room for um, a little bit more um, freedom, a little bit more connectedness with my older one. Um, and then also boundaries. <laughs> Boundaries have been so important. Um, I am moving. I am currently in a two-bedroom condo. It is not sustainable for us because my children are growing and I just need space. 
Um, and so we're moving in a few weeks to a townhouse right down the street, same neighborhood, um, three floors. So they will be playing in the basement while mama has some <laughs> time and space to her own. Um, and I, you know, when I need help, I ask for it a lot more quickly than I used to because um, it's it's not time to be a hero, right? You got to, you, parents have to, We've got to do the self-preservation thing um, because if we're not thriving or at least surviving, man, does that impact our kiddos? You know, mm-hmm. I can immediately tell if I have a shorter fuse, if, you know, I'm more quick to raise my voice or I'm giving consequences quicker or whatever. And I'm showing less praise mm-hmm. um, or sharing less praise. I should say, I can tell what, what, when that is happening. Um, and I don't, I don't want to be like that, but I, it's on me. It's on me to make those choices to step away. Um, you know, ask, ask other people to step in so that I can just take a shower in peace or take a walk or whatever it is that I, I need to do by myself so that I can refresh and recharge and be a better mama for my children. So th- those boundaries have been critical for me. And I would imagine that they are for other parents as well. I totally agree. I think I, um, one of the things I really emphasize for myself as well is um, happy parents make happy children. And um, if you're not happy with yourself, I think that kids kids are um, like psychics. <laughs> they know what's going on. Even the ones that don't have verbal uh, uh, abilities, they know what's going on and they will suck it in. Um, so um, that's, I think you're doing the right thing. Um, I do try myself as a parent and I sometimes feel guilty. So I try to like kick that guilt out um, because I know it's a long, long haul. I have to, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some things that you've learned in 2020 and things that you've learned to do over the course of your career and life for parents out there to prioritize themselves and as Jang said, happy parents make happy children. We have four or unfortunately have been conditioned to think sacrifice for your kids, sacrifice for your kids forever and ever. Mm. How do you take care of yourself and what do you have some tips? What tips do you have for some of our listeners to allow themselves to take time away or to do things themselves so that they can recharge and, you know, be good parents? So, I, I have observed that many, many people are doing this already, but um, because so many of us have extra time, I've noticed that people are gravitating towards things that they love to do, but typically don't have time to do, right? So their are passions that are outside of their work, um, hobbies, getting good at something like crafting or (laughs) mastering some kind of skill that, you know, they've always said, well, I'm going to do that one day when I have extra time. Um, And so for me, um, those things are painting. I shared with you that I've been painting these portraits. um, And I, I let my kids watch. I let my kids watch and I say, this is my painting time. And, you know, you can do something that feels good for you or you can join me if you want to. But even if I've got a little one next to me while I'm painting, the mere act of doing something that feels good for me, that does not involve helping somebody with something else, doing something for somebody else, um, 
that in itself has been very restorative for me. Um, and so I encourage others, if you can, I know it's tough with the tiny, tiny ones, um, because they're crawling all over you and, and needing a lot of physical care. But, you know, sometimes even my infant will, will sit next to me and be playing while I'm doing some painting or reading or whatever, even if it's just for five, 10 minutes until somebody freaks out and needs something. I think having kids observe us doing what we love and knowing that that is sometimes separate from them, that that is okay. We can do both and, right? We can have our our own identities as parents and we can also care for them at another time. Um, I think that's important for kids to see. I think it's a, a big part of development. Um, you know, especially as they get older and find ways to cope and they 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 discover ways to tap into their own joys. Uh, I think it's important to model that. And like I said before, ask for help if if you know if you're a single parent like me or you you have a partner who's working full time and can't contribute with childcare during the day, maybe ask a friend or a neighbor or somebody else that you trust who's in your bubble to come in and, and support you. That's so, so critical. In terms of academics, um, what resources free or paid or otherwise have you found useful uh, for your six-year-old and are there some things that you know about maybe for different grade levels that you'd like to share with us? Sure. So I would say for the younger ones, we've been using Khan Academy Kids which is a free resource. And then ABC Mouse, um, there is a cost for it. There's a yearly subscription. But I do know that there are some organizations that are either discounting their prices or canceling their prices right now. Um, I don't know of any offhand, but I'm sure that, you know, a quick Google search could lead to some really good results on that. Um, Just because there's such a demand, there's such a need right now. I know some Companies have been very generous with offering discounts and things like that. Um, I heard the Homer app is pretty good, too. I think there's a cost associated with that, but I heard that's good for the little ones. It keeps them engaged. Um, For the older students, typically, especially at the college level, I know that my college has taken all their learning center resources and put them online. So virtual tutoring in reading and writing, the sciences, math, languages. We have our digital learning center offering tutoring and um, tutorials online. And so, um, like you said, well, we were talking about this before we started recording, Jerry, about the fact that a lot of people are providing services for free these days. Um, they're they're out there. They're out there. Um, I, I also have to say that, you know, I... I am a private tutor outside of teaching, and the demand has gone through the roof. Um, and I've had to tell a lot of folks that I can't because I'm juggling so much in the fall. But that that's another area where there's so much discrepancy, right? Like you said, Jane, online learning is hard for everybody. And so parents who have the economic means are getting extra support that they can mm-hmm. afford for their children Whereas parents who cannot afford that um, are facing, again, a, an ever-widening gap. So, um, 
we're really going to have to think about as a nation, how do we maintain equity during this time? I know I'm taking it back to social justice, Jerry. You asked me about the, the resources for the kids, and I'm, I'm talking like about it. something else here. I like so it. This, that's so where I, my brain goes. So, okay, I'm going to ask you where my brain goes. <laughs> so, um, um, kind of uh, um, similar topic, but, you know, uh, we're all Korean-American parents, um, and now we're uh, at home with our kids. Um, how, just like social justice, though, I mean, culture and race and um, this Korean, uh, being a Korean American as an identity, like, is that something you do with your children? And what are your ways that you do? And, you know, how do how do you do that? That's one of the uh, biggest struggle that I have as a parent. Interestingly, although my older son is half Korean, and, you know, his dad's side is Polish, German, and Czech. Um, his first language was Korean because he was living with me and my parents when he was just a little baby and learning how to speak. Um, and the interesting thing is that when the pandemic hit, he was spending less time with my parents because they weren't picking him up from school anymore. They weren't watching him anymore as often as they used to. And so his Korean skills have declined drastically. Um, but with the little one, I'm starting all over from the beginning and speaking more to him in Korean. So his brother is relearning Korean and he's saying, what What are you saying to Augie? What are you saying to the baby? Um, and so it's been a fun way to reteach the older one. Um, and another thing that, that, a, a tradition that we maintain is um, putting the kids in Korean traditional wear. So the hanbok, especially for big celebrations. So for New Year's Day, my older one has always worn a hanbok to do his hebe or the, the bow um, to his elders. And then for my little one's first birthday, which is coming up next month, his grandmother was so kind to send matching hanboks for him and his brother. And so he will be wearing that. And it's um, something that I want my kids to know is an important part of their identity, celebrating in a traditional way sometimes um, for cultural night or heritage night. I try to be as involved as possible. Uh, my son's preschool did International Day every year. So I always came in with the little Korean snackies and wearing my hanbok. And um, I tried to be intentional about making it natural and not making it seem like this is a part of your identity that we only celebrate on birthdays and New Year. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. And so we're going to eat this food and sometimes speak in this language and talk about the things that Korean people believe in their culture. And so I try to sort of intersperse that throughout um, my son's upbringing. I think I can definitely do a better job. And also I'm very fortunate that I have parents close by who can help me with that. That's actually really great. I I, I totally agree with you about the language because uh, my child was fluent up until March and then my in-laws moved out <laughs> and, and then she, she, she will not talk in Korean at all. Like she refuses actually. Yeah. And so it's been a very interesting uh, journey as well. Um, do you, uh, how do, how do you define yourself in terms of your identity and, um, cultural identity and how does that work, um, into you being a parent? Um, I think for, um, Jerry and I were talking a lot about this last episode, but, 
um, our, my upbringing as mostly just Korean, because I grew up in Korea, um, has been such a big part of who I am. And um, it's been a big struggle to figure out um, who I am in terms of how I fit into this American society. That's been something that's been on my mind for a long time. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think most um, children of immigrant parents or children who are immigrants themselves, that's just a constant um, question. It's a constant internal debate that's happening, right? Who am I? Where do I belong? There's this mm-hmm. perpetual like feeling like you're in this liminal in-between space. And I can imagine that my older son, my younger son is 100% Korean American. So he's both parents are Korean. Um, so for my older one, I, I would imagine that those are conversations he's going to have with himself and hopefully peers of his who also are of mixed race. Um, but I, I find that the culture of respect, especially respect towards elders and the filial piety comes out a lot in the way that I raise my children. So for example, my, my older one, even though his Korean is, you know, a little bit shaky, he knows how to say which means I will eat well. And, you know, it's such a, a respectful thing to say before you enjoy a meal to show honor to the person who has cooked the meal for you, right? It's very different from bon appetit. It's very different from cheers, which is more of a celebratory, let's eat, this food is going to be great, um, let's enjoy. Taimo Kisimnita also has a connotation of, um, thank you for making this for me, right? Mm -hmm. I have gratitude for the hands that brought this meal to me. Um, And so, you know, my older one, he, he knows how to say that. And it's the cutest little thing. Um, and he, he, he'll bow, you know, I've taught him to bow to his grandparents and, and greet them and say goodbye that way. Um, and that feels very natural to me. Those are things that I still do. And my kids see me doing that to elders. Um, and they don't question it, right? It's it for, for right now, it's, it's very normative. Um, we'll see what happens as they get older and they start to have more of their own opinions about what's cool and not cool. But for now, that's it's very much a nothing. Yeah, cool. yeah, I know, right? Um, the six-year-old is already saying, "No, mom, no, ama, that's not right." <laughs> like, what do you know? Um, and and the little one too, like you know, he knows what "chuseyo" means. It means please give it to me. Right. And so he can't talk yet. But when I say with two hands and I'm also showing him how to do two hands, it's a big part of our culture. It's for for reasons I do not quite understand and cannot explain. You're not supposed to reach for things or receive things with one hand. That's considered disrespectful. Right. So I show him Mm -hmm. two hands to say, oh, please give it to me. And when I do that, he'll give me whatever it is he's holding. So I think um, pieces of the culture in that way are sort of uh, finding their way into my parenting, even if it isn't as explicit or prevalent as maybe I want it to be. I think that's something that I, I always want to be mindful of. I, I do recognize that it's there in little bits and pieces. I think something that we all agree with, and you know, um, all of us have been raised with direct Korean influence, um, but 
our kids will not be right and and what i mean by that is they're mm-hmm. all going to they're all born here um and so their influences are going to be different and so what's around them is going to be different but what is also true is that they look the way they look we can't change that they're going to get treated that way for the way they look and so perhaps some way even from the korean influence side they're going to be expected or you know people will wonder why don't you speak the language why don't you know and and so um yeah i, I think you know even i crazy the amount of code switching my three-year-old does and the things that he wants to learn that he doesn't want to learn and it's a challenge just to put it out there for everybody listening like yeah we get it this is like an extra thing that maybe some of our white friends don't have to deal with right it's an additional layer to parenting where you're not really raising two versions of one child but you have to sort of think about and keep in mind a hybrid version of how much uh, care and um you know, uh, relevance that there is to the biculturalness of it all. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we can probably talk for hours. Um, we invite you to come back, give us an update on how COVID schooling has gone, not only for your kids, but for your students, sure. um, who I, I think we haven't really gotten the chance to talk too much today, but, um, what, what a crazy time for them to, especially, like you said, the freshmen that are mm-hmm. starting out. Um, and you know, it's, we hope that, you know, at least through it all, that people um, learn a little bit something extra that maybe not have, either directly from the classroom or outside, and that we can really use the opportunities that at least being at home more or the new perspective that we've gained um, what will provide for us. Um, let's end the show with your best or most prevalent advice that you have for our fellow Korean American parents that are listening to us today. My advice is something that I have to remind myself of every day, which is be kind to yourself. If you're trying your best, wow, that's awesome. I tell my older son all the time, uh, I'm trying my best and I'm super proud. And if that makes you frustrated, you know, the way that I'm parenting or, you know, it's, it's something that you... Um, wish I was doing differently. All I can say is that I'm trying my best. And if you can say, I say to him, if you can say you're trying your best too, we're winning. We're winning. Um, if you can just acknowledge that um, your best effort is is really, that that's phenomenal right now. And even if your best effort doesn't produce the same results that it may have produced six, seven months ago, that's okay. We have to have grace with ourselves. We have to be patient with ourselves. Um, and we have to acknowledge the good work that we're doing as parents. Um, as a Korean American parent, I think about the fact that, you know, we're talking about the culture kind of like becoming diluted as our children and then their children and their children, um, move on with their lives. Um, the thought of that terrifies me that maybe my grandchildren and my great grandchildren will not have any understanding of their roots. Um, and so I, I don't know if anyone else sits with that type of anxiety, but, um, I think it's a good reminder for me and anyone else out there trying to preserve culture that, um, 
you know, it can be done in lots of different ways. Your child does not have to necessarily go to Korean school every Saturday or, you know, take these trips <laughs> abroad to Korea and live there for months at a time. But it can be done simply through um, teaching values, right? Sharing stories about your ancestors so that those don't get mm -hmm. lost. I've started to do that a little bit, and um, I encourage you all to do the same. Thank you for your words. I think it really made me tear up when you said be kind to yourself. I think that really hit me. Yeah, thanks for saying that. We realize this is a challenging time for all of us, um, regardless of where you are, what you do professionally, whether you're husband or wife, mom or dad, and how old your kids are. Um, let's just say it. It's been a really shitty year. Um, and, and so... Uh, and, you know, and, and to be completely blunt, like some of our stress outlets have also been eliminated, right? Whether it is, you know, going to the spa or, you know, going to watch a ball game or going out with friends to have a drink, like those are all off the table. And so without much warning and without much preparation, we have now been expected um, or we have to sort of figure out everything. And so... Um, yes, this is a show about parenting and we focus, you know, primarily as most parents do our conversations about how we uh, raise good kids, happy kids. Um, but, and we'll probably remind you of this every time we talk, take care of yourself, uh, make, make a plan, strategize with the people in your support system, whether they are your spouse or your family members, um, take, take a night off, go, I don't know, go drink by yourself in a corner, go have a zoom happy hour, um, something. Um, you know, cause we're, we're in this for a while. Um, and, and there seems to be no, uh, finite end to this. So, um, please take care of yourselves. If you have any tips for us, if you want to, uh, share with us that you want to share with us, or if you have any questions, uh, whether it is for Jang or to Yure, um, we'll, we'll put her contact or ways you can connect with her online, um, in the show notes. Uh, Yure, thank you so much for making the time. Um, in the middle of a tornado warning out there in Maryland. Um, you did not cancel. You you showed up, and we certainly appreciate you. Uh, with all that you've got going on, uh, we really, really thank you for your it time. It was such a joy. Thank you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guests and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting and be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple and share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast. <laughs>